The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Grace. Throughout the history of Christianity, individual churches have been remembered for many different things, some good and some not so good. In the first chapter of the book of Romans, there is a picture of a church that is remembered even today. Romans 1 verse 8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. The church of Ephesus was known for its hard work. In Revelation 2 verses 2 through 3, we read, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who, are, who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So here is a church who toiled, who patiently endured through many trials, who were very discerning and did not grow weary in what they were doing. On the other hand, Corinth is remembered for its division and moral laxity. The church at Laodicea for its apostasy. The congregation at Thessalonica for its doctrinal dispute centered on Christ's second coming. But the church of Philippi is a picture of a church that's remembered Because it remembered. It remembered the Apostle Paul, the moments of his great needs, the toils that he went through. This church remembered Paul, and they constantly sought to meet his needs. So it remembered its roots. It stayed the course. It knew the message that Paul had brought to him, to this church, and as Paul assembled a group of believers around him, they loved him because through him, Jesus Christ came to their lives. What will Grace Fellowship Church be remembered for? Right here, right now, Grace Fellowship Church has a choice to choose what we will be remembered for. Are we a church you simply attend Or we are a church where you come to desire to be and live the church. To toil together. To endure patiently together. To not grow weary. To contend for the faith. To walk in the spirit. I want us to look at a genuine heart interest. And how these Philippians continually gave out their love for Paul. When Paul first came to the city of Philippi in Macedonia, there were no Christians. He was the first missionary. And as people began to come and hear the word and accept Christ, a small band of people began to surround Paul. And they began to care for him and love him and meet his needs because Paul brought the message of Christ. And these Christians loved Paul even when he left. For a time, he was in Thessalonica. Thessalonica wasn't far away. So they would send messengers over there to check on Paul, see what his needs were. If he had financial needs, they would raise money and send it to them. 
but they would keep track of them. But soon, a riot caused Paul to leave Thessalonica, and he headed south to Berea and then to Athens. And for a time, the Philippian church lost track of him. And they would wonder, where is he now? Is he okay? Is somebody taking care of him, or or is he having to make tents to get by? The questions continued until finally a traveler who had seen Paul came to Philippi, and he told them what was going on. Now they knew where he was, and so they begin to, to think again and to find out what his needs were, and, he, and was he forced to care for himself? Was he okay? And when the answer came that Paul was again in need, the Philippians once again sent to meet his needs. And in 2 Corinthians 11:9, Paul, in talking to the Corinthians, says, And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, that's the Philippians, supplied my needs. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So you see, the Philippians took such good care of Paul when they knew his needs that even when he was ministering amongst other people, they didn't have to supply his needs. And that's an important thing to remember, especially as a church. But eventually, the the believers in Philippi lost track of Paul completely. He moved frequently. Word of what was going on began to become less and less to them. There was a third missionary journey. They again contacted him. Again, Paul moved on. And at last, Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea for two years, and then finally in chains brought to Rome. Many years had passed by now, but the Philippians once again heard of his needs. And as the news came to them, they again began to gather funds and put things together, and they sent them to Paul through their servant Epaphroditus. And Paul, in his glory and praise, writes our text for this morning. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, and beginning in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here is a man in prison. How does a man in prison do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In fact, what are the all things? What are the all things he's talking about? Here's what it is. It's all the things that God puts in your path to bring glory to Jesus Christ. The all things is how God orchestrates your life and guides you in his will to bring glory to him. Sometimes we get this idea that we can look at that verse and almost like a mantra say, well, I can do anything. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is a man whose whole life is built on walking with Christ. And so when he's walking with Christ and trusting Christ and casting all his cares upon Christ, he knows that every situation that comes into his life 
is orchestrated by his Savior. And when you're walking in the will of God, there's nothing you can't do. Because what you're called upon to do is what God has called you to do. So it's not a question of you deciding what you want to do. It's a question of being surrendered to the Spirit of God to follow his leading. And Paul says, no matter what it is, I can do all things. And that's why Paul so wonderfully could say, having been shipwrecked, having been beaten, having been bitten by snakes, having been imprisoned and changed and whipped, none of that mattered because he could go through all things through Christ. That's what he's talking about here. Verse 14 continues, It is, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Think about that. No one. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more, and I'm well supplied, having received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing unto God. So in Paul's mind, the Philippian gift was like the bloom of a flowering plant in the early spring after a long, hard winter. And he counted it to them as pleasing to God. So what about this supernatural fruit he's talking about? Paul's pleasure at the gift that the Philippians Christians had sent was not merely for his own sake. He was pleased for their sake. For he knew, as we all should know, that the gift actually benefits the giver more than the receiver. And when you imagine a group of people bonded together in a common cause, giving, surrendering, giving over, supporting, the joy that comes to a group of people that God is using you collectively to make a difference is overwhelming. And it's one of the secrets to a successful church. And this is true in the human level, but it is mere, even more true on the spiritual level. And so Paul writes the account in chapter 4, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So Paul was a ministry by which the Philippians were greatly blessed. God used the Philippians to meet his needs and in turn bless them. So we often think of the fruit of Christianity only in terms of character or, or as the fruit of the Spirit talking about in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But other things are said to be fruit for the Christian as well. Converts are the fruit of our labor as we take the message out to those who need it. Money given to help other Christians is called fruit. And according to this text, we may say that our gifts to others are encouraged by God, noticed by God, and much desired by God. But often, giving is discouraged by our false sense of security. The idea that we must secure ourselves with little regard of who it is that keeps us secure. 
And when the inner prompting of the Lord comes, we look the other way. Against the misplaced desire, God says that if a believer is not trusting in the Lord, he can have a million dollars and he'll never be secure. But the child of God who's trusting God, he's secure without anything. And this is the mindset of a surrendered church. And God is so wanting us to be able to trust him completely. An amazing blessing, by the way. That he will often allow us to fall into dire straits, financially or otherwise, in order to teach us that through him all things are possible. The Christian is thrown back on the Lord and learns that he is more than able to care for all those who trust him. I have never seen a Christian who gave sacrificially lose out or be sorry for it. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God in your time, your resources, or whatever it might be. And this was one of the key characteristics of the church at Philippi. Now, this is the place where some people talk about tithing. Doesn't the Bible say that we are supposed to tithe? 10% of our income? Well, if you study out tithing in the Old Testament, by the time you added the temple tax and some of the other things, it was more like 26%. But what about the tithe? Doesn't that mean that we're to give 10%? Well, the answer to that question is, the Bible does speak about tithing. But it was for the Jews under the law. Some might be quick to say, well, then doesn't that release us from having to tithe? Yes, in a sense, we are released. For we are not under the law, but under grace. However, if you understand what grace means, you understand grace requires even more. Now, what do I mean by that? Give you an example. In the Sermon on the Mount, it is not the law as the Ten Commandments of the law. It is an ethic to be lived out by God's grace in the lives of regenerated people. But because it is grace, the standard goes up. For example, instead of being told, as the law says, that we shall not murder, we're now told under grace that we shouldn't even hate the law tells us that we should not commit adultery. But under grace, we're not even to lust in our minds. The requirement goes up. And it's the same thing with our stewardship. Instead of owing God 10% of our income, what you find out by grace is he owns every bit of it. All that we have comes from him. All that we are is owned by him. And that includes our time and our talents. We are not under law as regards percentages, but we have a high level of responsibility to care for Christians and ministries and support those things that bring honor and glory to God. Some will give more. Some will give a widow's might. But all are to give out of a surrendered 
spirit-led heart. And there is the joy of grace. That's how God moves in the hearts of his people. And you know, God is merciful. And he understands completely the struggles that we go through. And that's why I tell you, I will never know what anybody gives. Because that's between you and God under grace. And if I'm going to be consistent in my belief that God owns this church, then I am fully persuaded that he is able to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When he increases and I am decreasing, I am absolutely free to do what he requires of me. And that should be the case with every one of us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this is why I tell you all the time that the goal of this church is not numeric growth, which may sound very odd in today's age. Our desire is to grow deep, to live surrendered lives, to understand what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit, to allow ourselves to be used by Christ in his perfect will and way, to gain what he wants to gain. It's growing deep spiritually It's seeing our people surrender to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I want members who with passion want to to live for Christ out of conviction. But passion must arise out of conviction. And when you finally understand that you were made for his glory, that means that each one of us has a divine purpose in this life. If we didn't, we'd have been saved and taken right to glory. But every one of you who has accepted Christ as Savior, you have been given a divine purpose to live through him. And it's only by surrendering to him and going deep into the word and understanding who he is and what he requires of you that we find that purpose. Here at Grace, it's not a question of might we go deep. It is that we must go deep. We are compelled by deep conviction. And when you lose that passion, your focus goes to you and your problems. And if you're not sold out to Christ, you'll be sold out to yourself. There's no other way. So notice also that they were the only ones. This is another point that I find fascinating here in what Paul is saying to the Philippians. Look at verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. You only, Philippians. Not only were the Philippians distinguished by the fact that they helped Paul, they were distinguished by the fact they were the only ones. And they cared deeply for Paul. In one of the most successful books ever published, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie has a section in there which he tells of how he devised and developed a way of finding out and getting closer to business acquaintances. Carnegie, when he met someone for the first time, he would ask them what 
zodiac sign they were born under. And what he found was 99 out of 100 didn't have a clue. So he would ask them what their birth date was. And he would immediately tuck it away in his brain. And when he had a chance, he would write it down on paper. And in each year at the date of their birthday, he would send them a birthday card. And he began to learn that outside of the immediate family, he was the only one who remembered their birthday. And the resulting good was staggering and extremely prosperous. Now, I think Dale Carnegie could do that for, to influence friends from a secular perspective. What might we do to be sold out to Christ? To know our to friends' needs, to know each other, and to be able to come alongside them and meet their needs when they're in need. Do you want real joy, real fruit in your Christian life? Then may I suggest that you live as though God is in control of everything. That there is no end to your generosity. That God owns all you have and is free to take and use any of it for his glory. I'm reminded of the first church in Acts, how they loved each other, how they loved Jesus Christ, and they would meet each other's needs. But if they got to a place where there wasn't enough resources to meet their needs, someone would sell property or sell something they owned in order to get the funds to meet the needs of the people. Can you imagine every day of your life being so sold out to Christ that if he came to you and said, look, I know you only got this, but this brother or sister needs it over here, and be able to say, amen. I know you'll take care of me, God. You know, from time to time, I, I refer to an 19th century circuit rider, Robert Sheffy. And, uh, you know, I talk about that, a, a, a dramatic uh, circuit preacher in the 1800s who rode through the hills of the Carolinas and Virginia, and he would preach at different churches and preach at different towns, and he would ride on his horse Gideon all through the countryside in the winter. And there was a film that came out in 1978 that documented his life and brought together all these true stories about him. He was known not only because of being a tremendous preacher, he was known as being an immense prayer warrior. It was said that when Robert Sheffy prayed, heaven moved. And the stories about him are staggering. But there's one story in particular where the character of Sheffy is made very clear. And I think it fits very appropriately for where we are now. And I want to give you the opportunity to see the clip I'm talking about. It's a, an old DVD. It's not real clear. But take a listen to this. And uh, it's an old DVD, so or a whole video, so hopefully it'll work okay here.
this? What happened? Don't rightly know. My horse just dropped down like he was shot. I'm afraid he's a goner. Well, now, we're not far from a town. You can buy another horse there. Ain't got but four dollars. Do you know of any four-dollar horses for sale? Don't lose faith now. God will provide if we trust him. Let me talk to the Lord about it. your harness. What did you say? You'll need your harness to put on Gideon here. We ain't beggars. I told you I ain't got no money. You need no money. The Lord's laid it on my heart to do this for you. Take him for Jesus' sake. We'll pay you back somehow. Oh, no. God will supply my needs. Only leave me alone with him. A minute. Oh, friend, it's not what I want. It's what I must do. I won't forget how you served me through the snow and across the miles. You've been a good friend. Sometimes praying can be an excuse. The horse was already provided. There was nothing to pray for. God bless you. Be kind to him and he'll give you good service. Feed him only good grain and give him fresh limestone water.
Why, Brother Sheffy, is that you? It's me. Sweet angels are not out today. How come you're walking, preacher? I gave Gideon away to a needy family. Can you loan me a horse to get home, Aurelius? You know I will, Brother Sheffy. Hold on now. I'll pay for you a new Gideon. Just happens there's a horse auction tomorrow. Now, ain't that a coincidence? 51? <laughs> what kind of church are we? Who owns your resources? If he increases and I decrease, these kind of things are commonplace. Because God will work through you. Do you want to be free? Free from the things of this world that constantly bring us down? There are people right here in this congregation that have major needs. There are people here who can supply those needs. There are needs outside these walls. God is looking for Christians who will give him everything and be used for his sweet glory. There is also a world that needs Christ. Who owns Grace Fellowship Church? What will we be remembered for? Our next message, which will be the last in the series, will be based on Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? If you can trust him for salvation, can you trust him for every day? He must increase. And I must decrease. Let's pray. Father, it seems that at times you require so much of us. But Lord... Everything we have is yours anyway. You have supplied all our needs, but it seems in a way we have gotten caught up in this world to want what the world wants. And we're not distinguished in our towns and our nations by being a peculiar people that Christ lives through so powerfully. We have chosen to settle for a settled for life. Every person in this room is so precious to you because you died for us. Do we think for one minute you'll let us go begging? You own the cattle on a thousand hills, and you've promise to supply all our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. 
the riches in heavenly places. God, I pray this morning that if there's some wrestling with this whole idea and that your spirit is working in their hearts to give up their own plans and to surrender them to you, I pray, Lord, I pray you'd have your way just as you beautifully had your way with Sheffy. Even the dearest thing of his animal, he freely gave to you because you owned him and supplied him in the first place and then right away met his need. Lord, I know that there are many here this morning who desire that life but don't have the courage to step out. I pray this morning that that courage would be ignited by a deep conviction that overflows in a passion that will not be stopped until we have followed you every step of the way. Be glorified in the hearts and lives of every person here this morning. And if there are any here this morning who have never surrendered to you, who don't know you as their Savior, I pray that this would be the day that you open their hearts and draw them to you and show them clearly what it means to walk in the goodness of a sweet Lord. You will supply our needs, Lord. And I pray that Grace Fellowship Church would be known in years to come as a church where the people allow the Spirit to live through them. And if we allow the Spirit to live through us, then you can do whatever you choose with us and it will bring the glory you require of us. We give you praise and honor and thank you in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless.